So joining me this afternoon is Dr. Lisa Palmer and Dr. Deb Cools. And we're gonna continue on our part two series of women in leadership. So I'm gonna start with just the most basic question, ladies. So Dr. Cools, what brought you to the Kirkacorian School of Medicine? So I will talk about what brought me to Las Vegas. Okay. So I wanted a warm climate because I'd moved from a cold climate. I wanted to teach. I wanted to do research, and by training, I'm a trauma critical care surgeon, and I wanted a very busy trauma program that served the entire community, including adults and children. I also trained at a facility where the whole trauma emergency room, ICU, and operating rooms were somewhat separate from the rest of the hospital, and our UMC has all of that. So this was the perfect job for me. And then as we migrated from the University of Nevada Reno School of Medicine to the UNLV School of Medicine, that was just a natural transition. Excellent. And Dr. Palmer, what brought you to the Kirk Kikorian School of Medicine? So I had a little bit more circuitous path than that. Okay. Um, so I was in Pennsylvania at the time at a regional health system. And Pennsylvania was a little bit rainy, and we decided that it, we got a Christmas card from a friend from where I had worked in Stowe, Vermont, when I was in practice there in a rural area. And she'd gone to Sanibel Island, Florida. So we decided to go to Sanibel. My daughter was young at the time and went there. And one of the times that we actually went, it rained for two weeks. <laughs> and I came back from vacation, and I said, I could have stayed home. I didn't need to go to Florida to, to live through two weeks of rain. So my, uh, one of my associate program directors at the time in Pennsylvania said to me, you want to go to Las Vegas? I'm like, why would I go to Las Vegas? So we actually vacationed in Las Vegas, fell in love with it. We arrived at 2 in the morning the first time. I could not believe what we found. My daughter was 8 at the time. Uh, MGM Grand had uh, kids uh, kids afternoons that she could go to. Uh, we enjoyed the pools, the weather. We came back five times a year for five years. And my daughter was going, was in the Catholic school system in eighth grade. And she comes one morning and says to us, why can't we move to Las Vegas? We said, why would you want to do that? So they got this great Catholic school system there. So as they were going and cutting back on what was happening in our school systems, we started to look at Las Vegas. And that's how I originally ended up in Las Vegas. I looked nowhere else but Las Vegas. I was looking at positions with hospitals, health systems, and my husband just turned to me and said, what do you really want to do? I said, I don't think I can give up teaching. I said, pay cut, whatever it takes, let's just go ahead and do that. So that's how I ended up in Las Vegas at the UNR School of Medicine, and then, again, natural transition. Mm -hmm. I mean, what could be better than staying in your same location but completely changing jobs and helping to found a new medical school? That's excellent. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about balance. Being women, having careers, being physicians. So Dr. Coles, how does balance look like for you and what tips and tricks can you share with others? So balance for me, it might be different than balance for some other people. Um, I was not um, a straight through 
a student to medical school, I was what, what do you call a non-traditional uh, medical student. So I had a career in banking and um, I had supported my ex-husband through professional school, but I always wanted to be a doctor. So I have felt like I've had all of this pent up um, desire and energy and things that I wanted to accomplish. So I knew that I had a somewhat shortened career and I, I really just love everything that I do. So I work a lot, but it's fun for me. I really, really enjoy it. My off time, I do something very different than, than medicine. I relax with old friends, do fairly common things, and I like to travel. So that's what balance what looks like. Too. Yes. <laughs> I've heard a rumor that Hawaii is one of your favorites. <laughs> Hawaii is a place that I lived in when I was a young adult and married before I went to medical school. And although we left there for a whole variety of reasons, I really fell in love with Hawaii, the culture and the people. And so I still enjoy returning to Hawaii. And I love warm weather. So, exactly. so, so, so the heat of Las Vegas is no problem for me. So of course I don't have to live outside, but, um, right. but I still enjoy the heat. I much prefer it over the cold. <laughs> okay, so over to you, Dr. Palmer. Tell us about balance. What does that look like for you? Balance varies for me during the year. Uh, if I have a grant that's due, it's life is out of balance. There's very little sleep. If I don't, uh, and it's more or less the routine of being a department chair and really enjoying interacting with the faculty and the students and the residents, uh, then I'm more similar to Dr. Cools in that the things that are just normal things, watching a movie with my husband, our real foodie, going out to eat is wonderfully enjoyable and I truly enjoy traveling all over the world if it's a cruise or if it's staying in a vacation somewhere and if I for me balance is to make sure that I somehow maneuver on my trips to go through North Carolina where my daughter's an attorney <laughs> that gives me a lot of balance to be able to do that make a little detour so I'm going to Europe we detour to Charlotte <laughs> I'm going, you know that's the I guess Japan was the only one I couldn't detour to Charlotte so Hawaii is a favorite. What is a favorite for you? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Moscow is a real favorite. Okay. Paris is a real favorite. So some of the European cities are things. You're on the list. Mine. Yes. But I'd just like to add something to my prior comments that several people that I have met, largely in Las Vegas, We'll start off by like, what do you do? And they go, oh my, so you really need to have fun in your off time. <laughs> and, and actually, you know, I never really thought of it that way, but that really is essential for me to keep balance is I need to have fun. Um, and it can be ordinary things as we talked about, but that balances, I think the intensity of the clinical work that I've done over the years. And my administrative work is just as intense. Um, so that helps me stay in balance. All right. Yeah, my administrator actually does. So 
She once said to me, the only time you get rest or get away from work is when you're in a different time zone. And I think that is what, because when I'm in Europe, everyone here is sleeping. When I'm up having fun and doing activities, then I check emails or do things I need to do and send that off. And then they get up, they can do what they need to do. And then I go to sleep. So I think that's one of the pieces of vacation balance for me is getting out of the time zone that I'm actually in. I love I love this. Okay. I would say people in my life tell me that I'm most relaxed in Hawaii and on a ship. I agree. So either one of those. Okay. So if yes. you're on the ship, do you not have access to a cell phone? I do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there's something about that change in environment. And I think kind of the all-encompassing of Anything you want to do or or eat um, or not or not yes <laughs> is available on a cruise. Fantastic, and, yes. the, and I think the wa- I love cruises too. Though it's the water, I love just looking out into the ocean, seeing nothing, and just that rhythm of the ocean is really cool. I would agree. Right. Fantastic. All right, so we're going to talk about bias. Gender bias. Dr. Coles, how are we going to squash gender bias? So I think um, with multiple approaches, one is, I think, really thorough education of everyone. Um, And I also think that um, regardless of gender or ethnicity, We need to cross whatever boundaries there are and to really advocate for both sponsors and mentors to work across what what might be perceived to be boundaries. Um, I also think facts, evidence. So what are the differences in pay? What are the differences in um, titles? Um, and look also at unconscious bias and that we all need to be aware of what our unconscious biases are. And some people, interestingly, are actually biased against their own, whatever that is. And, and for many, that's, that's a real wake-up call. I think also programs that highlight some of the not-so-obvious um, Um, means of of bias or behaviors um, that engender bias, um, I think are really, really important. So I feel really strongly that sending um, our faculty or our staff to programs that that really open their eyes is is really important. And, And it's important to get both messages from within an organization and outside of an organization. And I, I would just say the amount of work and effort and focus and importance that is being placed on bias today um, is, is by far, by far the most I've seen in my career. So I'm optimistic about the future. And the, the facts lead us to believe that we need to do something in addition to what we have historically done. Um, because 
the results just are not as significant as um, as they need to be for us to overcome disparities. I I think I have just the same sentiments. I feel the same. Palmer, how are we going to squash gender bias? So I think the one additional piece that I would add is that there are studies that show that women as leaders are actually harder on the women coming up uh, that they're mentoring than they are on the their male counterparts. So, uh, you know, the, the one piece of it, I think I, I agree with everything that Dr. Coles said in regards to this and everything that's been done in relationship to it. Um, but I think we have to be careful and, and make sure that we look at that focus uh, and, and make sure that, so, so men, mentoring men don't do the same thing as women mentoring women mm -hmm. as they come through. So I think another focus needs to be on that piece of it to make sure that we, we are actually being as open as we possibly can uh, because the majority of us have had men who were mentors who were great mentors, I must say, you know, absolutely, you know, certainly for my career, uh, but I think that's some of the other evidence that's starting to show in addition. And there's, there's a lot of evidence um, just on, in terms of even women applying for positions, whether they feel like they're qualified or not. Women tend to look at themselves and their qualifications, and unless they're 100% qualified, they don't feel that they will be taken seriously in their application, and so they don't apply. Um, for men, um, it's about 60%. So if they feel 60%, and I, again, I think this is sort of almost an unconscious or a very cultural perspective, uh, men will tend to apply for a job when they feel, when they're actually about 60% sure. qualified. Mm -hmm. um, in relation to Dr. Palmer's comment, I, again, I, I think our research is going to have to really tease this out about why is it sometimes that women are harder on women than they are on, on men that they're mentoring. And at least it's, it's felt partially due to the fact that many women, in order to get ahead, have felt they have to be overachievers. Absolutely. And so they have to give 100 plus X percent, yes, or, yes, or even more. Um, and, and so their expectation is at that level. And again, some of it may be conscious and some of it may be unconscious. But I think it, it really serves as a poor example when we see women almost, you know, not treating women as fairly as they do men. Um, and that, I think, is remembered by many. And it is, it's not a favorable um, memory. And it's brought up time and time again. So I think we really need to be sure that women are really supporting other women. Also, I, th I think just our culture has changed. Um, the acceptance, for instance, of um, female physicians um, having a family, becoming pregnant during their training, um, the, the whole perspective on that is different. And even our accrediting institutions are insisting upon time off and so forth like the, the rest of the population. So that has also changed. Um, and I, so that 
has led to at least better acceptance of you know, family and family life and that balance. But I think we still have a long way to go. I think we do. I like to think that as a woman in my career, at this stage in my career, the most growth I've had is when I've been challenged the most, when I've had the most anxiety, when I fear the most. And it's in those moments that I've had a life pivot. Can you tell me a story of a life pivot in your life, Dr. Palmer? It's actually a challenge uh, for me because I've always felt that no matter what direction or what turn uh, has happened for me, uh, it's either been a surprise or something that I felt was meant to meant to transpire. I don't I don't really sort of see them as pivots. I guess the the one I can think of the most really is being in clinical practice, having a private practice with a partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine tend to happen like all of a sudden overnight. <laughs> um, they're, they're not gradual. It's, you know, I wake up one morning and it's suddenly like, you know, I love being a clinician, but my gosh, I'm teaching my nurses, I'm teaching, I'm pulling them into listen to hardware, whereas I'm like, I know, I'm going to end up in academics. (laughs) You know, that's what's happened. When I was in medical school at Johns Hopkins, I was walking across the street to my dorm, and suddenly I said, oh, my gosh, I'm going into family medicine. It's just that those are what kind of pivots. They just happen. And I suddenly realized, yes, of course, that's what's going to, that's where I'm going. That's where I'm headed. How about you, Dr. Clay? So I've had different pivots in my life. (laughs) (laughs) So I would say one of the most significant pivots, because I grew up in a very rural area, the only doctor I knew was what what we called a general practitioner at that point Mm -hmm. that had less graduate medical education um, training than than is is now the, the case. But I always admired my general um, practitioner, and he delivered me, and he was my doctor until I went away to college. So wow. um, he was he was just really a remarkable person. So at least secretly, and I actually need to ask my siblings this, and I, I, I keep forgetting to, if I actually verbalized my desire to be a doctor when I was a child, because I don't remember if I shared it with anyone. But um, I ended up on, on a different path for a while, and medicine seemed such a long training process. And of course it is. Um, but it was also long when I finally went to school. But, um, but I went through kind of a personal crisis where my marriage, despite a lot of really attempts to salvage it, it just was not salvageable. So we, we parted on very friendly terms. Um, and then I decided that if my marriage wasn't going to last for the rest of my life, I needed to really re-examine my life. And I was in banking then, and there were a lot of mostly men. Again, it was a male-dominated field um, at that time anyway. Um, and they got to about age 50, and they got frustrated. There was nothing new and exciting for them to do. They weren't going to ascend anymore. And they were kind of stuck. And I was much younger then. And 
So I, I kind of put that together and I thought, let me just re-examine my life. And so I, I read the, the book, uh, The Road Less Traveled, and I Great took book. a journal writing course. And actually the first thing that came up about what I hadn't done in life was to go to medical school. So, so I was wow. single, um, employed, but I decided to, to try to get into med school. To try and fail was, would be more acceptable to me than not to try at all. And so I was very fortunate. I did, had to do a post-baccalaureate pre-med program. And after I was in the program, um, the program director said, how would you like to go to Medical College of Pennsylvania? And I'm thinking like, you know, you don't know like how badly I'd love to go to Medical College of Pennsylvania. <laughs> and I said, I, I would love to. And also thinking like, I will go to any medical school. <laughs> you know, I just want to be a doctor. Um, and so that was really a huge pivot in, in my life. And one that I actually didn't really share with family and friends, felt like it needed to be an individual decision. So that was one pivot. And I would say the other pivot is that, um, particularly in surgery, because complications of surgery can be life-threatening to our patients, mm -hmm. we look at complications under really a microscope. And we look at, is there anything different in the treatment or the decision-making that could have made a difference to the patient? Um, and, you know, so we, there's a tendency to then incorporate that into one's personal life. And so you always want to be better. So what I pivoted for is to really play to my strengths, what was going really well in my career. And I did that actually when we transitioned um, from the UNR School of Medicine to the UNLV School of Medicine. And I changed my focus um, somewhat to, to, to really have the time to, to spend on some things that were really going well in my career and, and to somewhat relax about always trying to improve, trying to be better to do the things that we're not as, as good at or as skilled at. So life pivots can happen at any time of your life. Yes. That's what you're saying to me. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So that's one of the things that's interesting and exciting about life. That's fantastic. So one of the things I wanted to ask you both is how you spend a Saturday morning. Pretend you're not on call, okay? So no on call, physicians. It's Saturday morning, 10 a.m., Dr. Coles. What are you up to? So I've slept in a little later than I usually do. What? <laughs> and, and I might um, still be in my pajamas. Um, I will have enjoyed a, I consider any cup of coffee a wonderful cup of coffee. <laughs> I would have enjoyed a wonderful <laughs> cup of coffee. Um, and I would just be thinking about personal things in my life that I would like to do that day. And then usually looking forward to a Saturday night out for dinner. That sounds fantastic. Okay. Switching over to you, Dr. Palmer. It's, you're not on call. <laughs> it's 10 a.m. on a Saturday. You're not doing a grant application. Uh, right. So what are you up to? 
Uh, so I like to make sure that I have some time set aside that I can be with my husband when I'm not doing some work. Uh, I, on a daily basis, including Saturday and Sunday, I will look at my schedule. I'll look at the things I did for the week. And I found this new system. Instead of writing things down and crossing them out in different colors, colors of ink that I really enjoyed, um, I now realize that I can put tasks in right on my calendar mm -hmm. in half hour in different colors. And so I will look and see maybe the things that are upcoming for the week, things I need to plan, and I will actually move them around my schedule a bit. Okay. Have nice big gaps of time while my husband, who has for, we've been married for 37 years now. Congratulations. Can, yes. Mm -hmm. he, uh, he, every day, will bring me my hot chocolate. I've never had a cup of coffee. I am. I'll have a couple of sips of hot chocolate. <laughs> and now so I will have a, a one or two sips of hot chocolate. Everyone says if you have any more caffeine than that, we don't know what it'll be like. <laughs> so just a couple of sips of hot chocolate. And if it's summertime, we will be outside um, on the, our little patio or I'll be in the water already for the pool. Okay. I am an outside person. Uh, and as long as it's warm, that will happen if it gets a little cooler then I will still be in some relaxing type of clothes or PJs at that time in the morning and I will have slept in a little later than usual okay all right all right I love it so Dr. Cools what or who inspires you oh I, it's it's hard to limit the number of people a lot of people inspire me that I, I really think that there is some inspiring goodness in many people. Um, I would say great leaders, um, the leaders of our school um, inspire me, the leaders of our university inspire me, some of our politicians inspire me, um, students. And other learners, I find just incredibly inspiring. And um, so I think that there's goodness in almost all people. And if we allow ourselves to get to know someone and appreciate their goodness, that that is inspiring. Because, you know, all of us, all of us hopefully have that good side, um, but it's not the same in everyone. And so to discover that in other people can really broaden, it certainly broadens my life. Um, and I would guess that it broadens others as, as well. Yeah. Dr. Palmer? Um, so I would definitely agree with Dr. Cools on this. And I think of inspiring moments yeah. Uh, it may be something that one of our clinic administrators says or uh, one of my staff saying it makes me think about things in a different way. And I think the biggest inspiration in my life has always been my husband and then my daughter as she has grown. They're my biggest inspirations. I think about what inspired me in my life is my mom was sick with cancer and I was a caregiver for her, and I had started my first master's degree, and I, she was going through chemo. 
when I graduated with my first master's in public health. And I was very lucky that she was watching online because she was too sick to attend in person. And I felt if my mom can sit there while she's on chemo and watch me graduate, I could keep going. And it certainly inspired me to get a second master's beyond that, to which she was able to see before she passed away. And so, and I was the first one in my family to, to certainly get a master's and a second one. So it's very inspiring my, my own journey of life. Um, so when I think about career paths, would you change anything, Dr. Palmer, in yours? I've, I've thought about this a lot, and there's not one thing I would change. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've never uh, felt that any path I took was a failure. It was always a challenge and a new beginning. I've always been presented with opportunities, and I wouldn't trade any of it for the world. Not one thing. That's amazing. What about you, Dr. Cole? I think I might have gone to medical school when I was younger. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> younger. A little longer. <laughs> but but I would say that if I was if I went straight through one of the most meaningful and inspiring experiences I had in my life um, was I grew up in a very rural area. My family didn't travel at all. And I don't know what made me want to see the world, but I really wanted to see the world. And my ex-husband really wanted to see the world. And so when we were quite young, we saved up. We had just awful jobs. <laughs> um, but we saved up our money, and we took a trip around the world so for amazing. six months. And every developing country that we went to, we saw just really bright you know, talented people not really having opportunity. And we both felt that we lived in a country where there was a lot of opportunity. And so we really needed to focus on what we wanted to accomplish in our lives. Um, I do wish that um, if I could have gone to med school just a little earlier, but I still would like to have had that experience <laughs> of traveling because that is the, the real reason that I went to med school. Okay. So that banking probably helped with the research and grants. So <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of money there. Yes. I did product and project development. So oh, it's okay. a little yeah. like grant yeah. writing and, and so forth. So some correlation there. All right. So I'm thinking, let's roll it back to when we were 25. Are we still? I think I am. Mary, my husband, knows that. Too, but what would you tell your 25-year-old self? So I would tell my 25-year-old self because I hadn't gone to med school then. I traveled the world. I decided that I really did need to focus on getting back to school and deciding for sure how I wanted to contribute to um, to the world. That I wished I had investigated ways that both my ex-husband and I could have done it at the same time. Um, and the other thing is, you know, I've learned um, self-confidence over many years. So I think to have a little bit more faith in myself at 25 would have would have probably been good. So, yeah. How about you? Let's roll it back, 25. Oh, 25. 
very intense student. I was a very intense student. So I think I would tell myself that I could have taken a little bit more time, continued piano, continued dance, continued painting. I had gone to oil painting and portraits before I was going to medical school. And I think I could have maybe said, even though you were at Johns Hopkins and they're pretty intense, maybe you could roll it back just a tad. Uh, but once again, um, I think it's that self-imposed drive that we have. Yeah. It's self-imposed expectations. I could have lowered my expectations of myself just a little bit. What's your word or your phrase for 2023, Dr. Palmer? Mine is hope. Hope that every day I'll be a better person and that I can somehow affect our my life, uh, my home life, my work life, um, the school in a way that it will make each day a little better for everyone else. I love that, especially in this community here in Las Vegas. We need it. About you, I think my word is resilience. Um, you know, in our community, we've have a lot of challenges. Um, the most recent, um, which of course was an international challenge of COVID, and healthcare professionals worked so hard then in really uncertain circumstances, um, and in our community. A couple of years before that, we had just a horrible shooting. Um, and so for some people, it was sort of like a double whammy. And so I think it took its toll on our sense of well-being. And even though there are certainly a lot of challenges in the world, there's no shortage of challenges, I think that um, we as human beings, we do have resilience. Sometimes it takes a while for it to really bounce back into effect, but um, but I think I think we we're doing that, and I see that trajectory. And I would just say, um, similar to what I said before, go with what's going well. I think we've shown resilience, and we can show even more resilience. I love this. This has and been a great conversation. And your word for twenty twenty three? Yes. Uh, I love the word grit. Oh, grit. You know, I, I certainly, myself as a woman, I'm, I, I mentioned it before, I've grown the most in the hardest times of my life. As a mom, as a newlywed now, I'm, you know, I think that being a woman and just moving forward each day, I think that's my goal for 2023 is to do good things with good people. And certainly I've found that journey here with both of you. So cheers. How cheers. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> I've enjoyed it. Yes, yes. Appreciate I would say. And there is a lot written on personal growth in adversity. So if, you know, there are some adverse conditions that people can't overcome, you know, due to physical or emotional factors or other factors. But when we do survive and if we can be resilient, I think we really can achieve significant personal growth. And I think your comments really, really speak to that. 
Thank you. Thanks.